This is State of Water. State of Water. State of Water coming at you right now. State of Water, a podcast focusing on clean water issues and their relationship to policy, equity, community, and climate. Featuring captivating interviews with Michiganders from many walks of life, State of Water is the official podcast of the Clean Water Campaign for Michigan, a program of the nonprofit organization Title Track. Welcome to the podcast, folks. Thanks for lending your ears. There has never been a more crucial moment to stay informed on clean water issues than right now. We've got a great interview for you this episode, and we hope it leaves you feeling inspired to bring this work into your life in whatever way you can. As always, we're grateful to have you on board. State of Water is made possible through a generous contribution from the Esperance Foundation. On this episode, we feature Toledo-based activist Marky Miller. Marky Miller is the key leader who spearheaded Toledoans for Safe Water, a grassroots campaign that led to the passing of the Lake Erie Bill of Rights this past February. Since then, she has spoken about the Rights of Nature movement all over the country. On Earth Day 2019, she spoke to the United Nations as part of the Ninth Interactive Dialogue of the General Assembly on Harmony with Nature. She was even featured on The Daily Show with Trevor Noah. For this interview, we're taking you into the crowd of the 2019 Water is Life Festival, held in Mackinac City, Michigan, last August, where Seth Bernard interviewed Markey. So let's pretend we're enjoying a beautiful late summer afternoon at a festival in northern Michigan, honoring the water and celebrating those who protect it. Here's Seth Bernard. So, how many of you heard the good news last spring and it spread throughout the whole world that people had worked on a grassroots campaign to give rights to Lake Erie in Toledo, Ohio. How many of you heard about that? Yeah. So, I heard about this and then I had people just kind of blowing up my phone and and people were overjoyed. People all over the country were saying, hey, do you hear the good news? People work together. They gave rights to nature. And it's part of a, a movement. So I'm sitting up here with Marky Miller, and Marky was the driving force along with a, a, a small group of very, very dedicated people in Toledo who worked very hard on this campaign, Toledoans for Safe Water, uh, to pass the Lake Erie Bill of Rights. So let's just start by showing some love for Marky Miller here. Thank you. Yeah. Um, 
And so I'm going to interview Marky. We, we spoke back in April, and we talked about doing uh, an interview for the State of Water podcast, which is a podcast of the Clean Water Campaign. Um, and so I'm recording, and, and we're going to turn this into a podcast, so thanks to everybody listening in the future. Um, so we're going to set it up uh, with just a few questions and, and kind of let you stretch out. So let's start with just a little bit of background about the project from you, Marky, and then we'll go into some detail. Sure. So in 2014, in the first weekend of August, uh, my community, Toledo, and all the surrounding suburbs that get water from Toledo, we lost our water. It was do not touch, do not drink, do not bathe, um, due to a highly toxic bloom of cyanobacteria in the western basin of Lake Erie, uh, which you don't know how vulnerable you are until you wake up one day, you can't shower, don't brush your teeth, don't make coffee, don't give your dog any water, I mean you are, you are totally vulnerable and powerless to this. So um, that was the catalyst for this project. Uh, it took probably another year to really get the idea because a lot of us, we didn't, we didn't know each other, but we spent the next year trying to go to different meetings, trying to get involved, putting pressure on local electeds, on state electeds, and we were going nowhere. Um, many of us had some experience with more traditional activism and felt we want something action-based and we want something that we have control over. So we got together with uh, a nonprofit law firm, the Community Environmental Legal Defense Fund. They helped us write a charter amendment and we volunteered our time to collect 10,500 signatures from our community to try and put this issue before the voters. It was really crucial to us that the people got to have a say in, in what happened since we were, we were the ones left to deal with this mess. Awesome. So you mentioned the Community Environmental Legal Defense Fund. Uh, CELDEF is how a lot of people refer to the organization. And I was curious when we spoke before if CELDEF was involved. Um, I had seen a speech by the founder of CELDEF, uh, Thomas Lindsay, um, years ago at the Great Lakes Pioneers Conference. And he talked about how we don't really have reason to sit back and hope that things are going to get better until we actually change the laws, yes. change the constitutions, and give rights to nature the way we've given rights to, to corporations. Um, otherwise, things are just going to keep playing out and we're dealing with symptoms. Yes, I believe his, his line that always speaks to me is that environmental regulations end up uh, regulating the environmentalist and not necessarily the, the polluters or those causing the harm. Mm. So CELDEF came in and, and they had their own budget and they supported the effort that you had already set in motion with Toledoans. They, you know, they, they offered their, their expertise to help us draft the language um, and they support us with the legal battles that we have as a result. But we as a, as a campaign, we, we raised our own money. Uh, we raised about $6,000 just us passing the hat. Um, collecting money for a yard sign, selling, we sold little maps that we drew ourselves. Uh, that was all our own money. They, they don't have the resources to help with that part that has to come from the people, but they are amazing with the legal support that we otherwise wouldn't be able to afford. Awesome. 
So you did this on a budget of $6,000. Yes, start to finish. Um, my favorite part about that is once we finally did get the clearance for the special election, which took many obstacles and, and lots of different challenges, we had two weeks before the election a, a campaign come out opposing us that spent over $300,000. And we still won, so I, and it was solely funded by uh, BP Oil out of Houston, Texas, calling us outsiders and meddlers and manipulators. Um, you know, we were getting campaign information against us saying that we didn't even belong in this community to our own home addresses. So it was it was very frustrating, but because we had been involved in the community for two years working on this issue, they knew who we were. The voters understood. They didn't they didn't take any of that propaganda, and uh, it was it was amazing to, to watch that campaign go up against the six thousand dollar grassroots volunteer effort and lose. Wow! Wow! Yeah! Right! And I remember. You know, you had this opposition coming, and at first people didn't know where it was coming from, especially the fact that this was a campaign started by local people, and the opposition, the propaganda was saying that these are outside interests. But it turns out the people funding the propaganda were based in Texas, and yes. they were a giant fossil fuel corporation. And, and they called themselves the Toledo Jobs and Growth Coalition, so oh well what is that that sounds local it sounds legitimate uh, we didn't we couldn't get access to those campaign records until well after the campaign um, but you know it was it was just really awesome comparing those, those numbers and looking at what we did despite everything we were up against mm -hmm. so let's back up a little bit um, you all have done something really uh, uplifting for the movement and, and for the people of Ohio and people of the Great Lakes region. I'm curious about uh, to hear a little bit about your personal history, um, how you became involved in activism and organizing. Yeah, um, you know, I when I was an undergrad at the University of Toledo, I really didn't know what I wanted to do. I started working on a degree in anthropology and got really into native plants and native habitat and protecting those local ecosystems. And that kind of sparked my interest in, in environmentalism. And I went on to pursue a, a master's degree in environmental science. And I learned very quickly I wanted nothing to do with that field. I was so unhappy. It, it seemed like we were just regulating the problem. We, you know, we were saying it's okay if you permit so much of a harmful activity. And to me, it, it felt like in order to take a job in that field, I would have to compromise a lot of what I believed in. Uh, and I walked away from it. It was, it was really difficult. I ended up going back to school just, just to finish to have it done. But I always knew if I was going to do this kind of work, it would have to be on my terms and most likely as a volunteer. So it was it was kind of a hard realization to make, but I think it's really important that, you know, you don't, we were promoting this idea of compromising and compromising, and that's what got us into the problems that we see now. Um, you know, we, we came to this belief as a group that you cannot have a sustainable community if you keep allowing unsustainable activities. So, you know, the Lake Erie Bill of Rights and the Rights of Nature takes a pretty hard stance against those activities, but fossil fuel infrastructure, animal factories, 
these uh, you know, injection wells, incinerators, all those things that when the community opposes and goes and they testify and they get expert witnesses and they, they plead with their elected officials, it happens anyway. Um, we had enough of that. <laughs> so why, it's why we said let's put down on paper what we want and put it to the people. Don't take it to the electeds anymore. Let, let the people have a say. Uh, and and I, my hope would be that more people start seeing how much power they have and, and that they have this ability to do that. So what was that moment where, I mean obviously this came out of a crisis. So what was the moment where you decided to take that leap to go beyond you know, working with the symptoms to actually changing the law and drafting up the Bill of Rights. It, it was really the frustration of seeing that nobody was going to help us. Um, that there was there was no relying on the regulatory agencies. There was no uh, savior that we could elect to do this. That we had to start stepping up and saying, "This is our home, and we're going to protect it." Uh, you know, and so it, it grew over time. And it, I don't know if when we all signed on and said, yeah, let's do this, if we really understood the impact it would have. Uh, and, and, you know, I always like to recognize, too, that the door that we opened with Blakery Bill of Rights was built on a foundation of all the work that Ohio communities have done before us. There are uh, probably 12 or 13 communities that have been trying to pass local laws, Bill of Rights laws, uh, trying to prevent these things from coming in, whether it's injection wells or pipelines, uh, the privatization of their water, and they were kept from the ballot. They were told no, they, they would pass it and the state would preempt it. And we knew going into it, we were probably going to have a similar outcome, but now that we're seeing these changes, it, it solidifies for me, this is why you have to do this. You know, It's not going to happen in, in one issue, one initiative. It has to be the, the building of a movement. And we kind of saw that just evolve really gradually. And, and as it got closer to the election, we just started realizing we're making history. And we need to recognize this moment and how important it is. I mean, it, it took women 100 years to get the right to vote. You know, the civil rights movement, there, for every landmark case you have, before that time, there were how many court cases that failed, or people that got arrested, or, or actions that ended in tragedy. You know, it's it's this constant persistence push that you finally see that structure of law start to change. And you have to change the culture first in order to influence the law side of that. So this was, it was a long process. Yes, we, we collected signatures for about two years, um, just because many of us, we're working multiple jobs, going to school, raising families. Um, you know, we would spend our lunch hours, our weekends, our evenings going out trying to collect signatures, talk to people, um, just all as volunteers. Did you at any point feel like you were burning out? And if so, how did you keep going? Yeah, absolutely. Um, it, it's kind of this constant feeling of, I know I might not win, but I have to keep doing this. And it's it's really hard to have that in the back of your mind that this this might not work and I might do this again and, and try to stay focused on it. But um, I, I think, again, it's that recognition that this is up to you. You know, if, if, I, if I'm not there, no one's going to take my place. Um, it has to be me. And, it, it, you know, and every, all of us took that on. And we have this, this saying in the community rights movement of, you know, we don't lose until we quit. 
And you try to keep that and, and think of all the communities that tried before you that were still working. Youngstown, Ohio has had nine attempts to get something on the on the ballot um, against the, the fracking and, and you know the earthquakes and things that they're dealing with and, and trying to get uh, corporations to have less of a say in, in how their community functions. So you, you hold on to those stories and think, I, I have to do this and power through as best you can. Thank you for powering through. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So I'm curious also to know if, if you were afraid at any time, if the opposition or if people who didn't understand what you were trying to do, do and saw it as a threat to their livelihood, if that became something that actually stirred up fear within you and other organizers. There, there were some times closer to the election where I did find myself being extremely paranoid, um, looking over my shoulder a lot, not wanting to put myself out there, but as the spokesperson for this effort, knowing that all of my information is available and people know who I am and where I am. Um, but overall, the, the other side of that is if I stop, then I have this fear of what's happening to my drinking water, of what's happening to my environment. So there was really no winning in, in giving up or, you know, um, there was always a threat. And I had to weigh out what was going to be the greatest threat, you know, me being a little uh, paranoid and fearful or my entire community being without water again, um, getting sick, having that, that exposure to these toxins. So you have to, you have to figure out what's, what's worth it. Well, thank you. And, and so, how amazing, too, to have all of this build up leading up to the election, and then it passes, and it captures the world's attention. So can you kind of talk us through what that was like? Um, and then the exhaustion must have really set in after the actual vote. Your body sort of catches up to where you've been at, and then people are calling you from all over the place asking for interviews. In the last few months, you know, I've seen you on TV and seen the article spread all over, lots of them going viral on social media. So walk us through that whole process. Yeah, yeah, and you know, the, the election, it always seems like an end point, but that was really the beginning for us. You know, it was just, okay, you start over, let's, let's shift gears a little bit. Um, there was really no break in between that. Um, and I would get phone calls saying, hey, this, you know, this French magazine wants to interview, how good is your French? And like, I'm not prepared for any, any of this. Um, but it's it's really amazing when you realize that, like, I, I'm speaking for myself, but I'm representing this group, I'm representing this movement, um, representing Lake Erie, and I get to speak to the world about that and hope that other communities pick up that message, that they feel, I can do this too. And you just... You can't say no you have to say yeah let's talk let's get the story out there as much as we can and, and suddenly it's in Italy and it's in England and I'm getting calls from all over um, you know Canada saying hey the algae's headed our way what do we do you know and, and realize that people are interested but they're also a little frightened because they, they are recognizing you know, their own harms going on um, it, it doesn't matter what the harm is that you want to plug in the 
the, the calculation seems to be the same, that you're going to be stopped by the regulatory system, you're going to be halted by the state and federal levels of government that, you know, that tends to not matter what the issue is, but we get a little distracted focusing on single issues when we need to make these sweeping systemic changes. What was the weirdest interview that you've done so far? That would have to be The Daily Show. <laughs> Comedy, satire, you never know how they're going to make you look and what they're going to use. And it was definitely interesting. Probably my favorite one to do, but um, a really bizarre, nerve-wracking experience waiting for that to go live and wondering what they were going to put together. I saw that one. It was weird, and you did a great job. Thank you. It was funny. It was really funny. Check it out if you haven't seen it. Um, so how many of you out there in the crowd and, and listening to the podcast would like to make a commitment right now to work to give rights to a body of water around us here? So Marky, what do you have to say to these people about getting started and seeing it through? You know, the, the best thing to start is to talk to your friends, your neighbors, find people who have that, that common ground with you, the frustration. And, you know, if, if especially if you've already done what you're supposed to do, talking to your officials, going through those motions, and put a plan together. You know, it's, it's totally okay to say, this is what we want and put that down on paper. Um, you know, we that's where we started, and then we contacted Seldef uh, to say, help us put this in, in you know, these legal terms and, and get that together. It's doing these initiatives, it's not a skill that you, you tend to have. So we were learning as we went along. We were trying to figure that out. Um, calling the Board of Elections saying, can you explain this portion of our charter? Can you help us maneuver this? And trying to get that information, it's, it's not common knowledge. You, you have to do a little bit of that research. And it's really intimidating, but it's totally doable. And we're watching countries all over the world pass rights of nature laws. The first of which was actually in Pennsylvania in 2006. So, and that still stands. It just never got challenged and it's, it's still there. So it's, it's something that needs to happen and you are 100% capable of making that happen. You know, I had no interest in doing anything political or legal in my entire life and now it's, it's becoming just something I do and it's, it's part of my identity. So embrace it and, and don't be afraid to you know, break beyond some of those barriers that we tend to have with our legal system and say, no, that, that's not allowed. It's not allowed until you allow it. <laughs> So, go for it. Yeah, a lot of love for you here, Marky. I hope you can feel it. I like that Michigan bracelet you've got Thank there, you. too. Thank you. I was born in Michigan, so that's where my roots oh, are. Whereabouts? Um, just right on the border in uh, Lambertville, and spent a lot of my childhood up north here, and so nice. it's really meaningful for me to get to work with the Great Lakes now and kind of help the forgotten Lake Erie that Toledo is so close to but does not highlight in any way. So Yeah. Um, well, Toledo was almost a part of Michigan too, so yeah, it's still yeah, kind of, it's, still Maybe kind we of can do that next. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> um, 
Can you give us some examples of some other uh, rights of nature cases that are happening right now or have recently happened? Yeah, um, actually a, a lot of indigenous tribes have been uh, passing more of those laws. You know, it's a lot of people I've talked to have said it's just part of the culture, it's, it's part of the way of life, but now it's about putting that down on paper and, you know, I know that the Ho-Chunk Nation in Wisconsin, um, the rights of wild rice in Minnesota, uh, those are a little more recent developments, um, but then we have laws in Pennsylvania, we have the Constitution of Ecuador adopting that as a country, um, India, New Zealand, I mean it's it's really is growing and, and has been since probably 2006 when Pennsylvania passed it. Um, really happy to add Toledo on that, there's a, a long timeline that we have of of just incidents of people trying and you know they don't always pass right away here in the US but um, there's probably like I said 12 or 13 count, uh, counties in Ohio that are, are working on these, these issues. Uh, we have several statewide networks Pennsylvania, Colorado, um, Oregon, the Salish Sea is working on one right now and we're also working with uh, the, the people of Mauna Kea in Hawaii protecting that, that sacred land against the telescope. They've been really interested. They, they contacted Saldaf and said, we heard about the Lake Erie Bill of Rights. We want to protect this sacred space too. And I know they have a really short window of time and might not be able to do with the long-term project that we did, but it's rights of nature is definitely a topic around that issue right now. Awesome. Any closing thoughts, uh, call to action for the folks here at the Water is Life Festival, Marky? Uh, you know, right before uh, I left for this trip here, we, we released a news, a news press saying that the Ohio Chamber of Commerce wrote the language against rights of nature for a state budget bill in Ohio. Uh, we have emails where they said, hey, dear representative, hoops, Please attach this language to the budget bill. We know it's past the deadline, but we'd be really appreciative if you could do that. And as a community that spent two years following the rules of how to petition, gathering signatures, um, we're a little angry <laughs> to see that now in this budget bill that is probably 800 pages of budget, it has been swelled to over 2,600 pages of whatever issues corporations don't want to see moving forward. So if you could help make noise about that, that would be excellent. This is true corporate power against the, the community rights, against people having a voice, against the rights of nature. Um, you know, it's, it's sometimes it's hard to prove, but then sometimes they bundle that all up in lovely emails for you that, that you get a hold of. But it's, it's about exposing this and fighting it as much as possible all the time and never giving up and always pushing back. So anytime that you have a chance to make some noise about that, um, please do. We'll, we'll have your back. And I hope so. We'll follow things as they go along. Uh, Toledoans for Safe Water. Yes, Toledoans for Safe Water. Uh, our website is lakeerieaction.org. Uh, you can also find a lot of information at celdef.org, C-E-L-D-F. Um, we work with them quite closely, and they're supporting a lot of grassroots communities that are trying to do the same thing. Well, I feel like working together to give rights to nature legally is more tangible now than I've ever felt before. And it's such a, 
such a welcome antidote to feeling overwhelmed uh, in these times. Uh, and, and these are overwhelming times. Uh, and these are times when we're seeing rapid change and rapid organizing, people coming together to take a stand and make action. Uh, and all of you are, are in that boat. We're in this boat together. Um, and so I feel very inspired by what you've shared and the work that you're doing and continue you. to do. Thank you so much for sharing and thank you for your work. No, thank uh, you for having me at this event. It's wonderful. Big round of applause for Marky Miller. State of Water is powered by the Clean Water Campaign for Michigan. This campaign represents an opportunity to help place clean water issues front and center by partnering with environmental organizations across the state, by educating voters, and by urging every candidate running for public office to make a strong stand on critical issues affecting Michigan's waters. Using storytelling and music events across the state to amplify the groundswell of public support for clean water issues, this campaign is driven by Michiganders from all walks of life who share a similar priority, protection of our water. Both State of Water and the Clean Water Campaign are programs of the Michigan-based nonprofit Title Track. Their mission, engaging creative practice to build resilient social ecological systems that support clean water, racial equity, and youth empowerment. If what you've heard in this episode resonates with you, take the first step to getting involved. Go to TitleTrackMichigan.org and click Contact to sign up for our mailing list. Don't miss an episode. Tune in next time.